centuries to see how strange so far from his path that I barely see the promise of glory can this be him this hell boy to another episode of the haunted hacker um tonight we have gordon lawson um who's going to visit us talking about ranch force and cyber fortress Uh, before we get started um a little bit of housekeeping this week's been a busy week um i had three talks including cyber 2021 cybersecurity 2021 i guess it was yesterday yeah yesterday um so didn't have time to put together a new uh, exploit, but I'm working on one with Alexa using InMap and building in exploit modules to remote voice hacking network. Um, so hopefully that will pan out pretty well. As far as uh, the news goes, not a whole lot going on the news. They found three more variants of malware that was used in um, SolarWinds, which I thought was pretty interesting. I think we'll see a lot more of that. Um, probably variations of the malware trying to get back into the front door. Um, So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get this one started. Trami, are you on video or just audio? Um, Can you guys hear me on audio? Perfect. Yep. You can hear me? Yep. Okay. And Gordon, how are you tonight? Great. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Uh, Hosting me. We're going, awesome. Gordon. Hey, Charlie, how are you? Pretty good. I'm so excited for tonight. Uh, well, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. So before we get started, um, Gordon and I had a conversation, I guess it was almost a year ago or close to a year ago. I was actually in a hospital in Europe and we were talking about kicking off a uh, esports kind of uh, thing for CTF players. Um, and we talked about Range Force being involved and some other people. Um, that may resurface here shortly. Uh, sorry about that, Gordon. I actually transplanted back to the U.S. after that hospital stay. And that's where I'm at. Okay, now. no worries. Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself? I'm glad everything's better, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate it. It was, a, it was a long two months in Princess Alexandria Hospital in, in London. Um, pretty intense. So why don't you introduce yourself and give us kind of your background and, and your history and, and uh, a little bit about Range Force. Yeah, absolutely. No. Well, thanks again. Um, pleasure to meet all of you guys. Um, so, Gordon Lawson, I'm the president and CRO here at Range Force. Um, I'm based in the uh, DC area. Um, I started my career as a naval officer. Um, I did, it's, uh, maybe at the kind of an 
untraditional approach. I'm sure there's probably some military folks on, on, on today or have some background there, but, um, you know, I was, I was not a cyber officer. So, um, I, I, I did, I was on a destroyer for three years. I did military acquisition. I did work with the Marine Corps with special operations. I actually did a lot of like physical security work kind of post nine 11. And, um, I was on a, about 10 years ago, I was on a flight with one of the um, co-founders of FishMe, now CoFence. You guys may know that that technology where they send simulated phishing attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a flight with this gentleman and he said, hey, um, have you ever thought about getting into cyber? And I was like, wow, well, you know, I know about it. Obviously I've been exposed. I've been in, you know, been exposed to it, but um, didn't really know as much about it. So, you know, I just want to want to warn the audience. I'm not a ball do. And, um, you know, here at Range Force, as I, as I joined this company in 2019, what became really, really clear was that obviously there's a huge cybersecurity skills gap, which I think we all know about. But the other piece is that it's, it's, I think it's hard to get access to hands-on content, or it's, it's certainly getting easier, but I think it's hard to get access to really good content and especially like blue team focused curriculum. Um, also, you know, when you think about certifications and all those things. Access to great hands-on learning um, to help folks, whether you want to get into the field, we want to help folks get into the field. And there's, there's easy ways to do that, very cost-effective ways to do it. Or if you're already in a seat somewhere, we want to help you take your career to the next level. And I think that's one of the cool things about Range Force is we just have content across that spectrum that, that, that can help folks really take it, um, take it up a notch. That's awesome. I can totally relate Gordon, because, um, like you, I'm also not uh, a hacker. I I'm, I'm more on the business side of cybersecurity, so I can absolutely relate. Um, Mike here is an excellent hacker. So he, he definitely has knows all the technical know-hows, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I think the, the really cool thing that I, I think about in this field is that we can work with so many different groups and you can get exposure to a field that really does have lifetime employment. I mean, yeah, the threats so, aren't going away. Yeah. So like how many years would you say you've been on the business side of cyber when you joined Range Force or, or a little bit prior? To uh, yeah, it would be like around almost 10 years now. Yeah. 10 years 10 now. Years. Okay, so so you're a seasoned, seasoned <laughs> cybersecurity. You've been in the field for about a decade now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We actually have a lot in common, Gordon. Um, I was actually born in D.C. and okay. I served on the East Coast at the Joint Force Intelligence Command. Oh, nice. Um, so I did uh, signal intelligence uh, back in the day, post 9-11. Um, so there's a little bit of overlap there. That's, that's why I was so interested in, in the model that, that you guys had at Range Force, um, because it seemed more military structured, more, uh, I guess, together when it comes to a cyber range. So tell me about the formation of the uh, Battle Fortress and, and Range Force and, and all the above. I'm excited to hear about the actual platform itself. I've been sitting on this for almost a year. Um, yeah watching range force and, and kind of get an idea, but for the people, just, just a little bit of insight as to the audience we have, we have people who have never been in it security. Um, we've had people on, uh, on the air listening to us that are anywhere from 11 to 60 years old. Um, so for those who know nothing about what a cyber range is or range force, 
why don't you give them like a brief overview of, of what that looks like and what it entails and what it takes to build something of that magnitude. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great, I think, way to start. So, you know, and I think it kind of goes back to um, our founding team helped build out the NATO cyber range. Um, wow. There's a big NATO cyber range in Estonia. There's large exercises that are done every year. Uh, and we still have a, over 40 engineers in Estonia now. Um, you guys can imagine um, their geographic location is quite close to, to a well-known nation state. And for that reason, they've had to have very sophisticated cyber um, uh, know-how within, within, the, within the country. Um, but traditionally, cyber ranges have been you know, millions of dollars of on-prem equipment, um, you're going you're gonna to schedule an event because it's going to take several months to, to build up attack scenarios. And it's, it's very, very resource intensive. In fact, I mean, there's companies that, that we would all recognize that still have uh, semi-tractor semi trailers that, that, that have a range built into them. And they'll actually drive those around and, you know, you do these events. And I, and I think what we as a company have discovered uh, kind of through this process is that we, that, that is just not feasible. It's not feasible for individuals. It's frankly not feasible for many of even the Fortune 500 to do that. It's just, it's just not cost effective. It takes too long. As with everything else, we need a cloud-based solution. And so RangeForce's uh, really overarching principle is that we can build out either self-paced uh, cyber content that's very realistic and hands-on where a VM spins up in the cloud and you can get hands-on and solve these challenges. Uh, we can do that. And then we can also do a full-on cloud-based cyber range event, red and blue team event with, with realistic tools. We'll mimic the tools of your environment. We'll, we'll you know, do the attack scenarios as well. And so the idea is it's kind of like, hey, you can do Netflix, the self-paced piece. We're going to give you prescriptive learning, really clear content. And then you're going to go to the IMAX where you're going to get the full-on experience as a team. And I think that's kind of the best way to think about it is this is just a really cool, easy way to train, especially in this, in this world, it, it can all be done virtually. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, especially like when you look at where we're going and the geopolitical situation around the world, I, I think that, you know, a cyber range is, is paramount. Um, when I was in Virginia, I believe in Suffolk, uh, or maybe it was Portsmouth, no, it was Suffolk. We had um, a lot of joint operations and, and testing and war games and, and all the above. But back then, it was very immature. It was very like that, very much so that, that infancy stage. Um, so when you, when you say that you have a cyber range for commercial, for DOD, tell us how you, how you customize that, that approach for, let's say you want to take the cyber range to a government contractor or you want to take it to a group like ours, um, what, what changes do you have to make and, and what differences are there between, let's say, what I can access without a clearance as opposed to what other people can access? Right. Um, well, well, I think the, the first thing I'd say is that the, the access, we want to make the access super easy. So like everyone that's on today, and I know, Mike, at some point we're going to give away some full, full licenses, which is going to be fun. Um, but but um, everyone that's on today can go to the RangeForce community and get access to 20 modules. If you do 10 of those modules, this actually launched on Friday, by the way. If you do 10 of those modules, you get a badge. You can nice. share, you know, it's cool, right? So, so everyone on here can access RangeForce or pieces of it for free. Um, if you're in a larger company, 
And obviously we, we want to make sure that the CISOs and SOC managers and those companies know about us too. We have about 500 modules um, and we add about 15 to 20 each week, including about 30 CVEs uh, that we have in the library right now. We're, we're constantly um, adding to those as well. Um, that's, that's what an organization can get access to. And even if a, a student, if a student, if we have a student on here, we'll, we'll give a student access to the whole thing for $150. What? So once again, there's like, we, 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 we don't want to be, we don't want to make money and we don't, it's, we, it's not our intention to make money off of people who want to get into the community. There's plenty of big corporations that, that we can do that, that barter with, but for, for folks that are, that just have a intrinsic motivation to become the best white hat in the world. This is what we're here to do, right? Best blue teamer in the world. That's what we want to do. And so make, we make it easy. Now, the, the cool thing is, is like what you get in those 500 modules really isn't that much different than what a government client's going to get. And we support those government clients as well. And I think maybe we have this notion that the government has all these incredible resources and training pieces. But Mike, as you and I know, even, even now when you're kind of behind that curtain, you know, the bottom line is they still need to know the fundamentals. And frankly, there's not really good, great ways for them to learn those fundamentals. And, and so, so the differences, of course, there's nuances. We might do some different attack scenarios for our government clients that, you know, the general population is not going to get, but, but it's really not that much different. And I think that goes back to the fact that these vectors aren't that much different. Like, the threat actors use the same ones again and again with maybe a different nuance and you know the details that much better than I do, but, but they haven't changed that much. And so, and so the bottom line is we all have to build up this baseline of knowledge and keep raising that baseline. And, and I think what we're doing is makes that a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah definitely. I signed up for the, the community edition um, about, I want to say like on Friday and I, I did like one or two modules um, and I thought the user experience was super easy and friendly. And so I'm super excited to, to kind of level up using, using you guys' platform. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Back when the Navy's first started their cyber warfare rate, I'm sure you probably remember that it was uh, called CTN. They took a, a crypto tech mm -hmm. um, and allowed them network attack and defend. So when they opened up that rate, I was one of the first ones into that cross-traded from ctt into ctn um which was funny because back then we didn't have any educational we didn't have any books we didn't have any sops we didn't have uh, any kind of training modules it was basically you sit before a board tell them what you can do tell them what you know they'll ask a few questions and then you're you're either cross-traded or not um which i found really interesting because once i cross-traded i ended up going into CTN and I said, okay, so where do we go from here? And they're like, well, I don't know. You tell us. And I said, well, <laughs> if we're building something and, you know, we, we need to get on it. Um, so they started creating books and then they had spa war come out, uh, you know, that, that the formation of spa war and a couple of the commands. Um, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that's combining now into SpaceX and, and the um, space force. Uh, so yeah. what is the uh, trajectory for, range force i know that you guys are, are fairly new but as far as like your long-term plan what does that look like to you well i mean for us it, it really is about um getting our content out to the community and whether that is fortune 500 global 2000 as many university students as we can touch as many folks that that want that want to invest in their own in their own uh, career development mm -hmm. um 
the, you know, for us, we've already built the infrastructure, the backend cloud infrastructure. We can have hundreds of thousands. We have tens of thousands of people of people on the platform right now. We can have hundreds of thousands. There's no reason we can we can have millions of people on this platform. Nice. Um, that so so that that's our goal is we want we want to make sure that uh, people have a way to experience this. And I think the other cool thing is like we're and I really challenge our team and I, I try and do this myself is we want to think outside the box. You know we want to think outside of hey it's 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 okay if you don't have to go to a one week class once a year and get a cert and be and be done with your training for the rest of the year. I think that that's while important, I think that that is, that is not, you know, the way, way to practice. And you just think about, I just wrote, I wrote an article for Forbes recently about, about the, the, the similarities with cyber training and professional sports. You know, as you all know, folks who are good at their craft, whether it's sports or anything else, they literally are practicing hours every day. Why would we not expect to do that? in in cybersecurity. I mean Mike, I'm sure you're, you know, you're I can tell when you the way you started, you do this every day and that's what it takes to get awesome. Um and so we want to challenge that conventional wisdom at Range Force as well. I'll give you another example of um of how I think we're challenging conventional wisdom. We just opened an office in Savannah, Georgia. Have you all ever been to Savannah? That's right down the road. Oh, okay. I didn't know where you're based. Yeah, Alabama. Okay. So, so, you know, Savannah is a beautiful city. It's 288 years old. There's 72,000 college students there. The Savannah College of Art and Design, which is the number one school that Disney and Pixar recruit from are there. You think about the talent base that we as a company have now, you know, we could, we could, we have an office in Virginia and we'll still have an office in Virginia, but, but we're challenging that conventional wisdom about where we kind of uh, build out our locations because we want people who may not, who, who have a different perspective. We want diversity in our company, want diversity amongst our user base. And I think that is the other way is, you know, our threat, the threat actors are thinking in a very diverse way about how to, how, how to do damage. We need to fight this threat with, with a little bit more, I think, unconventional approaches to, to get more effective at it. So, so how do you work that, that equation, right? So I know a lot of companies will hire, uh, people like me to come in and, and help with the research or in the labs uh, to get things, you know, more lifelike and, and, you know, the attacks very specific. How do you guys uh, look at employment um, being part of, I'm sure you have DOD contracts. I'm sure with that uh, there are some, some clearances passed back and forth or, or, you know, some ownership of clearances. Um how is that structured within your company? Because a lot of people on, on the on the podcast are, are really listening in to figure out, you know, which route they want to go, you know, the company, culture, all the above. So tell us about, you know, how you employ and kind of the culture at Range Force. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is it's truly a global culture. Um, we have uh, some of our research team and, and sales team in Northern Ireland, for example. Nice. Um, so, you know, Queen's University is one of the premier cybersecurity programs in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, most folks don't even know about that. And I, I just think that that's so cool. And we have some amazing people there. As I mentioned, we have uh, a, a large uh, staff and our founding founders are in Estonia. Once again, thinking differently about how to solve the problem. And then we have almost 50 people in the U.S., all throughout the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now at Rangeforce, we have UX positions open we have research positions open. We have product engineering positions open. You know, the, the, we, we want folks who understand this threat landscape and can help us translate that threat landscape into the most 
actionable and user-friendly content in the world. Um, and I think, you know, there's, for us, the bar is continually getting higher. Like, you know, this is, this is an evolving threat. So it's an evolving platform for us as well. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think the other cool thing that we really look forward to is um, we're the only player in this space that has vendor specific tools. So if you want to learn Splunk Carbon Black Recorded Future, um, there's going to be a lot more coming out here. Uh, you can get it in Rangeforce. You can get that exposure. You know, you can imagine CISOs love that because if you're new to a SOC, the last thing that they want is you playing on the SIM on network before you get to really understand it. Uh, and so I think that's the other piece is we're, we're looking for folks who maybe have, you know, worked with some of those tools or want to learn how to work with those tools and incorporate that into our curriculum as well. So, so do you incorporate other vendors' uh, applications or platforms into your platform as well? Like, let's say Darktrace, for instance, you know, it seems to be a pretty popular SOC uh, tool. Um, do you have relationships with, with companies like that in order to bring that to Rangeforce? We have about 15 relationships now with, with other vendors and growing. Um, that's one we'd, we'd love to add. Uh, obviously, it's, sometimes it's just a matter of making that right alliance connection and and getting a, a, a not for resale license to build it out. But, but yeah, the, for us building out that ecosystem is a huge priority. I mean, I'll share an example, um, Oliver Friedrichs, who you all might recognize that name, the founder of Phantom, the father of, of orchestration of SOAR. He's on our board. He's a good friend. Um, you know, this is a gentleman who built out 300 apps to, to, to be able to ingest and build out those playbooks in, in a SOAR platform. Like that's the kind of folks that we have uh, brought into the range force family. And, and that's the kind of thinking is there, this should not be something where you uh, it's proprietary or you, you know, you don't, you don't get to play with other tools. Like those tools, the, using humans learning how to use those tools effectively build resilience. And that's, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. And, and not hiding the, AI or the ML that, that is or isn't there, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as dark chase goes, I could probably make some connections for you. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to dark chase and, and I had their platform in one of my socks and um, was working with them on how to present some of the, some of the data that I was seeing some of the advanced search data that should have been, first and foremost on the, on the GUI. I'm not one for the GUI. They spent a lot of money on that GUI and it's, it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the core of that, that appliance for that company is in the advanced search and all the data that it collects. It's a mad amount of data. Um, so with that being said, you know, I, I know that, you know, a lot of people here are students. I know we have one professor for sure, Chi, who's from Westminster, University in London, who's who's on right now, which I'm sure he could, you know, would love to see Range Force and, and maybe possibly get a demo and, and go from there. Um, but I'll, I'll help you make some of those connections um, post podcast, and and we can expand. Uh, one of the things that that I wanted to mention, uh, one of the reasons why we brought you on here is the fact that not only is is a company really interesting, but our community is based on the idea of knowledge and information should be free. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't charge for our podcasts. We don't charge for anything that's in our discord, any of the walkthroughs or uh, exploits that, that, that we demo. We don't charge for any of that. Um, and we, we live strictly off of donations here. 
which is really cool. And, and that's kind of the way we wanted it. We wanted to run kind of a, you know, a corporate sponsorship or, you know, some way that we could keep things open and free and creative while giving back to the community. And it seemed like the community as a whole, we were missing a big chunk of people when it came to reaching out and making that connection. And that chunk of people were the people who were new to cybersecurity who may be a little bit timid to reach out or who may like not know enough that they, that they don't feel like they know enough to reach out. Um, so, you know, we try to bring people on here to kind of, you know, say, Hey, this is our company. This is my journey. This is how I got here. And this is the knowledge that, that we use within the company so we can pass that on to our viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's really important. I think what you're doing and educating with, with range force is, is huge. Um, we all know that the U S is, you know, we have a really capable, semi-capable cyber force, um, but we're behind the ball when it comes to other countries. Um, you know, there, there are some countries out there that uh, they have an entire army of offensive cybersecurity experts who do nothing but break into things all day long yep. um, under gunpoint. I mean, that's their job. Uh, it's communism. Um, so it, it, we're a little bit behind on that. And I think one of the reasons being is because we're such a capitalist driven country that, you know, we're going to have to, you know, catch up because usually those, those communist countries who, you know, form those cyber units way, way before we do, they advance so quickly. And a lot of that has to do with some of the innovation that we come up with in the U S and they kind of take that over and and run with it. Um, So speaking about cyber ranges and, and the military war games and stuff like that, where do you think the future is in cybersecurity? I know that, that your strategic placing of the company near Estonia is epic. I, I like that idea. Um, for those of you who don't know what happened in Estonia, uh, you should probably read up on it. There's been a lot of nation state um, attacks in that area. Uh, one in particular that shut the lights out in a country yeah. um, was one of the big first, I guess, uh, well, first well-known infrastructure attack in cyber. Um, so that was a great placement for the company. So where, where do you see the biggest threats coming from? And, and tell us a little bit about how you model those threats. Yeah. So I think the first thing is for us, it's all about um, talent density. I'm going to steal from the Netflix book, which I think is awesome for anyone who wants to read probably the best business book I've read there. I've ever read the Netflix book is awesome. Um, but um you know, talent density for us. So that is, you know, we have people that not only worked in government, they worked in fortune 100 socks. They, you know, they, they, they have seen these threats firsthand. And so when we're building out an attack scenario for our battle fortress range, it's going to, to mimic that for sure. Right. And that's, that's really important for us. Um, I think in terms of, you know, where we see threats coming, I, I go back to, I mean, I mean, we, dude, we've gotten so we, I've gotten so many impersonating phishing emails, BEC emails going this week, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, as someone who started my career, my cyber career in phishing, um, as you know, that is still the most common vector. 
And being able, when you're working in a SOC, being able to respond to that, I mean, there's lots of great tools where those messages get forwarded up. I mean, you got weaponized PDFs, you got all sorts, SQL injection, all sorts of ways you can, you know, do do some real damage when people are clicking on things they're not supposed to. Mm. Um, not, not to mention, you know, the, just the BEC concept of wiring money when they're not supposed to. I and mean, that's a whole different scenario. It just goes back to more internal controls. Um, but the one thing I think about is that these threats are, they're, they're like still the same. It's like this, it's this, a lot of the same vectors with nuances on them, you know, solar winds is SDLC, but it's not, but, but, but there's still, you know, other pieces of lateral movement in there. It just starts with SDLC. And so, you know, all of these things combined, I think about, Hey, if I'm an, if I'm an analyst who's just getting started and I'm the, and I'm the SOC manager of that over that analyst, I want that I want them to build up muscle memory and to be able to see these vectors in a benign environment, even if there's going to be nuance to them when it really happens. I want them to experience that over and over again. So when the real thing happens, when that alert happens, you're like, all right, now I've I know what I'm dealing with here. I know how to uh, you know remediate this appropriately. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is is that we put people in these roles and they're just maybe. They just haven't seen it before. And, and who knows, maybe the person that has seen it before is off that day, right? So, so why would you not want to have a level baseline and an increase in a level baseline where we, you know everyone is at, is, at a, is at a cursory level and then you know, they can go up in expertise from there. But, but I think that's really, really the thing for, that, that I'm seeing the most of is you got to bring some operational rigor to training experiential rigor to training so we take the subjectivity out of it and i think that's gonna that's gonna help us defeat these threats better do you find that being a challenge for businesses to balance like employee training and their day-to-day responsibilities Uh, you know i i say it's it's an objection that always comes up but to me the most thoughtful CISOs in this community realize that they can't just dump a bunch of money onto people and expect them to go sign up for what they want. Now, of course, that's a, that, you know, I say this, there's a double-edged sword there. I think people like to have some autonomy and you can do both. You can give folks some autonomy to go, to, to go out and get some training. But at the end of the day, if you're responsible for the cyber readiness of a multinational organization, I think you better have some reporting around where people are, some objective metrics and reporting around where people are. And, you know, to, for, for us, this is why I love to, you know, we're going to give away license today. I want everyone on here, if they haven't been in community, get into community because, you know, whether it's us or someone else, what I think is going to happen in a couple of years is this is going to become, this sort of training will become a regulatory requirement to work in some of these industries. And so, why not get some exposure to it now? It's probably going to be easier than, you know, two or three years from now when you're, when you're sitting in that sock and you have to do it. Yeah. It It was actually, it was actually a requirement. So I helped build a sock in oil and gas. And one of the requirements was uh, personal training and Mm. I didn't care when they did it, but I gave them 25% of their time at work to do personal and professional training. Um, And just to get the job, within the sock, I had them sit behind a bunch of vulnerable machines and run a pen test because, it, you know, in my eyes, this is a way that, that I entered into the industry. You know, before the industry even existed, we were doing things and, and testing devices and, and hacking. But when the industry actually started, my thought was, okay, 
offensive is really important to know because without knowing the offensive part of it, how are you going to know how to defend against it? Um, And some attacks can be smoke screens. So I tried to, you know, anybody I brought into my sock, I had them test offensively first because I can teach defense all day long. Right. But if you don't know where or who or methodology or tool sets that this is coming from, it makes your defenses pretty ineffective. Um, So some of the latest attacks that we've seen, uh, you know, the Florida water treatment plant, you Mm -hmm. know, a team viewer, uh, stuff like that. Do you have IOT, maybe ICS and SCADA stuff built into the Battle Fortress? Yeah, our, our IoT is, uh, we have modules that are being released in a couple of weeks here all around IoT. Uh, we've done some partnerships on ICS and SCADA. Uh, I'll, give a, I'll give a preview on this because the agreement's been signed. I think this is super cool. Um, this next week, uh, we're adding Simon Hodgkinson, who's the former retired CISO of British Petroleum to our advisory board. Um, he is a big fan of Range Force as well. And I think that just shows, you know, the gravitas, the importance of, of protecting criti- critical infrastructure. So, so yes, you know, we're, we're continuing to build out that content. Um, there's a little bit of it uh, there now, um, but it's going to continue to get more and more r- robust because we do, we do add those 15 to 20 modules per right. week. And we'll have, we'll have about a thousand modules in the platform by the end of this year. That's awesome. So have you seen an, an uptick in interest or demand since SolarWinds? Uh, definitely. Uh, we, we have, we're, we're approaching about 10,000 people in our community now. And I've seen it since it happened, the increase has gone, has gone up and up, um, there. So I think def- definitely seen that. I think also within the corporate community, there's definitely an appetite to be bringing the team together for full on red and blue team events. Right. I think that, that they know that we need, need to be able to understand uh, what these vectors look like. The other thing that I think, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, Mike, is that I've seen is the importance of cross-training. So like we have cloud security and some secure coding content as well. And I think that's, you know, as you know, in these organizations, there's always a natural tension between your, your coders and your security professionals. Right. Why would we not want those folks to understand what each other do to appreciate the complexity and the, and the, you know, the, the items that they, that they respectfully have to do to get their jobs done. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that's going to prevent some of these vulnerabilities from, from, uh, from coming about in the future, but between secure coding, cloud security, and just your basic instant response. I mean, if there's three kind of overarching items that every it cyber professional needs to have a cursory knowledge of, I would say, you know, that's where the world's going and, and you kind of got to understand um, where the, where the bad stuff can happen within each of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to looking at, at current threat and some of the, some of the uh, threat landscape and some of the actors that are super active right now, um, it's going to be a long year to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think we've seen even the beginning of, of what's coming um, as far as cyber attacks go. Uh, and we've been saying this for years, you know, I, I know they've been in our critical infrastructure since at least, you know, 10 years ago mm-hmm. and hiding and, and planning persistence and, and getting ready for that kill switch. I wish they could, you know, we've seen it happen. They, they can throw that kill switch anytime. Um, so 
looking at like the joint warfighter, um, I had to go through tons of training when it came to the SIGINT stuff and, and network ops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then JSOC uh, got involved. What was really interesting was to see those trailers come on to compound uh, that gave people shooter experience, right? So you go into the, mm-hmm. into the trailer and you're equipped with, you know, a, a mock gun with a screen and, you know, you go through a scenario and train on specific, you know, logistics or terrain or environment um, in that trailer. And I can totally see, you know, going to, to, to Suffolk and, and, and Portsmouth and looking at how they have that test bed set up to make that mobile is amazing. Um, and I think that will solve a lot of problems. And, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I think that, you know, some of the incident response teams need to follow that same, the same structure, right? Why not have that same mobile unit with a trailer to deploy and take over IT operations if need be? Right. But the training. Well, I don't, I don't even, I think the technology is there, Mike. I'm not sure you need a trailer. I think you can yeah. do very, very effective cloud-based training, but the concept, what you're talking about, the concept is the same. Yeah. And I think, you know, for folks on who maybe haven't had military experience, I, I love to share this one. So one of the things I got to do a little later in my career was go to airborne school, a paratrooper school at Fort Benning. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. You, you have, it's three weeks long. There's, there's a ground week, there's a tower week, and then there's a jump week. So in that, those first two weeks, when you learn to land, because you land pretty hard, it's a it's a static line parachute. It's not like you know the Hollywood free fall or the SOCOM free fall. You're landing pretty hard, and 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 they say that you practice landing 1,500 times in two weeks. But you know you talk about it's the same thing. The military is very good about whether it's flight simulation, shooting packages, driving packages. It's very they're very good about t- building up like muscle memory. And I would even call it nuanced muscle memory. It's not one thing. It's not one thing, one reaction. It may be 50 different things and you have to respond 50 different ways depending on the scenario. Cybersecurity is very similar. So if you can do a cloud-based range event that re- literally from like the comfort of your living room, <laughs> you know, why would we not do this? It's just insane. Whether it's range force or whoever, I mean, it's just, just if you're an organization, you've got to do this. If you're the government, you've got to do this more efficiently because as you, as you mentioned, the threat actors are doing it and Hey, you know what? They're not even practicing. They're just doing the attacks right. and they're, they're going to see what sticks. So <laughs> we better get our stuff together and get more efficient at training and defending. Yeah. I mean, putting things in perspective, right? So I spend probably 20 hours a week doing research, doing preparation for the podcast um, on top of that, doing talks and then, and developing new code and testing new exploits. Like to me, it's not a job. I was told when I was, when I was really young uh, by my dad, um, don't ever let your job define who you are as a person. So I took that, I locked it away. As I got older and I found my skill set, I said, you know what? I'm going to take that saying and I'm going to turn it around. I'm not going to let my job define who I am. I'm going to define my job. And that's basically what we did. You know, we, we left the shadows, I guess, and, and started this certified ethical hacker, this, this security industry, this organic thing that has kind of evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of vendors get wrapped up in you know, cost and, and, you know, how can we make a million quick? How can we do M&A next week? 
uh, how can we, you know, design this to sell? And I think that's the wrong approach. I think that, that you guys have the right approach. You know, the education piece of it is worth more than any M&A. Don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to be acquired. Everybody wants to succeed and make money. Right. But I think the, the, real, the real key and in, in the, in the real value is not just range force on the platform. I think it's the mindset behind it to, you know, want to give that knowledge and education away. Well, the M&A and the other piece, it happens when you do the right thing. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what I, I think about is that, um, you know, certainly the more people that we have in our community, the better we look for the investment community. Right. But so, so like the, the good, the good stuff happens when you, when you do that, when you do the right thing and support people that want to want to get into, into the field. Um, I think that when you're, you know, when you're so, when you're, when you're a company and you're difficult to work with, and that's one of the things that I always try and be, and, and my team, I feel like they're the same way. Of course, there's contractual restrictions sometimes on things, but we always want to be super, super easy to work with. We, we want to make sure we're very, you know, customer focused and whether that customer is paying us or that customers in the community, if there's a way that we can support and help them, we're going to help them. Um, of course, we have investors that we have to, you know, and shareholders that we that, that we're, we work with. But well, once again, you do the right thing and, and, and good things are going to happen. Um, and, and, and I think also like, you know, you kind of alluded to, you have this intrinsic passion for what you do. I think everyone at Range Force, we have an intrinsic passion for we're changing people's lives. Um, I don't know if you all saw this recently, but we we have partnerships with a couple of organizations, um, the International Consortium for Minorities in Cyber, as well as uh, Black Girls Hack. Uh, Europe is another one that we support. All of these folks, uh, certainly the latter two, it is 100% scholarship based. We give free licenses to those organizations. And I mean, just, it's just, it, it's, it's amazing. It really trans transforms the ability of underprivileged youth to find a career path that will, that will change their lives and, and, and give them an amazing um, future trajectory. So, so we're, we're, we're super uh, pleased to, that that's part of our corporate mission. So Steve had a quick question. He said, any plans for Range Force to do public competitions similar to SOC X World Championship, but general public teams? And Steve, that's, that's a really interesting question because we actually, Gordon and I actually talked about this last year um, about creating sort of like an esports uh, tournament where it was not gaming, it was cyber range. Because not only will it promote that that team effort and help promote, you know, the military as well as you know their cyber teams and, and getting people in line for that to defend the country, but also makes these kids sharper. And we're talking about kids who I've seen as young as eleven years old who can rock out any cyber challenge as well as anybody else. Um, yeah, so I, I would love to see Range Force. You know, maybe we can do something in the future and and you know in the short future put together some sort of uh, competition or some, some kind of tournament to where we can bring people in from my community, our community, and, and, you know, help develop some stuff on the platform and, and, you know, further their experience and knowledge. Yeah, Mike, I think it's a, it's a great idea. Um, yeah, let's do it. I mean, let's do it. There's no, there's no reason we can't get this going and, and spin it up and spend a, you know, Saturday afternoon or a Saturday and, and really have some really cool um, interaction and, you know, have leaderboards and all that fun stuff. I love the fact you talked about the 11 year old. My son is 14 and he's done 130 
range force modules. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely loves this. And I think that's the thing is like, how would, how, if you're that age and you don't have exposure to this, how do you, how do you know? Start? Yeah. Right. You got to get started. And yeah, it's, I, I'm so glad Steve asked that question because that was actually one of the questions I had was like you guys gamified learning in cybersecurity. So like, you know, at some point I was curious if you were going to take it to like an actual, I could see like a conference where you hold competitions um, for different age groups too, you know, like high school, college, and then pros. Um, so yeah, uh, are, are you guys thinking about doing anything like that? Absolutely. I think, I think the, the challenge, the little bit of the challenge has been COVID. Right. And what, I mean, yeah. what I, what I kind of envision, Mike, we, we should take this offline, but you know, Hey, we have a, we have a pretty sweet office in Savannah. It's mm -hmm. a great town. People that are comfortable traveling would want to travel. I mean, we could do our white cell there. That'd be cool. And we could, right. And then we could do, and people that wanted to come in, we could have some people in person, we could put it up on screens. I mean, you know, most companies do a traditional user conference, I, I think, you know, the range force games, maybe our user conference. So yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah. And I think we had one other sponsor that, that was looking to invest was Sophos security mm -hmm. uh, in the early planning. I, I don't know so much about them anymore because I haven't talked to them, but I think as far as our community goes, haunted hacker and range force, I think we could definitely put together something like that and make it really effective. Um you know, one thing that, that I like about the idea that we came up with was esports grew so quick. Mm -hmm. uh, and those kids that, you know, grew up on those games are now making millions of dollars and have corporate sponsors. And that's how they got their start. There's no reason why we can't uh, put together the same type of attraction. But not only do they get a start, not only get a nice paycheck, but they get a career out of it. Right. I, think, I think that's the most important. You know, when I talk to kids that have been in trouble in the UK and I do the intervention workshop for them, um, a lot of them started out on gaming and they didn't know that they were breaking a law. So mm -hmm. if we had something like this built out already and, and some sort of tournament that, that we could run people through and, and really get the word out, it would help with, with the corporation as well as knowledge in general. Because my, my whole point is that as you know, living in, in this country, living in the U.S., and looking at our readiness as far as defending the critical infrastructure, as far as defending the country and, and our livelihood against cyber attack, we're not doing a good job at all. Um, and it's sad, but that that's that's the state we're in right now, and that's what happens when you get political tension and stuff involved that, that shouldn't be there. Um, but it, it's been a problem. It's been a problem for a long time. And I think that we're more focused on, you know, outward appearance as opposed to inward knowledge. And I think, you know, getting people involved at a very young age, you know, 11 to 14 is prime, absolutely yeah. prime because their, their brains are like sponges. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I've, I've had parents come up to me and say, look, I don't know how to connect with my kid. They are so smart when it comes to computers, but I don't know how to help them. And so they take them to places like Cyber Ninjas or, or Coding Ninjas or whatever. And, and literally, we had an 11-year-old on here that his mom took him to one of those places. And they, they tested him to do an assessment to see where he fit into their curriculum. And he looked at her and said, look, we just can't help him. Like, he's beyond where we're at. Wow. So where does a kid like that go? You know, right. there, There's no – he can do CTFs, so he can do Hack in the Box. But again, he's being left by himself to do that. 
Is he on today, Mike? Um, he's not, but he's always on in the Discord. He's actually probably in a Discord as we speak right now. Okay, so we need to get his parents to send an email, and we're going to get him a license. So we'll get awesome. him going. So, awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, he's a good kid. Um, but we we have people like that 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 you know they've been shut down by other groups because they're too far advanced. And it's like we're going to lose those kids if we don't find a way to supplement their knowledge and, and bring them into the fold. Right. And so that's why I started reaching out and, and, and helping kids, you know, after I had done with London and the intervention workshop, which I'm still doing for the Met police, it was like, there's gotta be more ways to, to bring kids in and give them that knowledge. Right. So that's where this community came in. And, and I'm sure, you know, with range force and showing them, you know, the capabilities of what they can do with their skill set, That's huge. It's absolutely huge. Well, and I think the cool, you know, the other thing that I think is a little bit encouraging that we need to work on more is let's go back to, you know, using this for good and, and, you know, whether that's in a, a university setting or in a mil- even a military setting or an IC intelligence community setting, right. Is I think that those, you know, the, those kids need to know that there are amazing organizations that um, if they do the right thing, if they get in trouble in early age, they get barred from going to those places potentially, right? And, and that's that's the thing you can't use. So so let's teach them how to do the right thing. Exactly. Harness this, and once again, you can have an amazing career. I mean, there's like we got like you said, we have Space Force now. You know how intense cyber is with that. I mean, oh, yeah. we got some amazing. We just landed a rover on Mars. Um, I mean, some amazing stuff going on that requires, you know, very very advanced uh, it cyber coding skills. Um, you know, we, we need to do a better job as an industry and in, in making sure they know where to go for that and, and use it in a positive way. Absolutely. I think that I can't remember how many satellites they released, uh, this, this past week, it was a ton of satellites that they deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people don't understand is with each one of the satellites, each one of the satellite missions, whether it be geostationary or target locked on, or whatever, each mission has different levels of coding and different types of applications and, and parameters that are passed to that satellite. That's all cyber. It yeah. doesn't mysteriously, magically appear in that satellite and the satellite knows what to do. Um, it takes coding, it, it takes programming, it takes all sorts. And to defend the satellites, um, I saw an image, uh, kind of a virtual image of what the ionosphere and and beyond looks like with the satellites and space trash people people would not believe it if they don't see it's it's crowded right it's very crowded you know the the amount of geostationary satellites up there would just amaze me you know and these satellites lock on and they basically just follow the earth um and we would be very asinine to believe that we as a country and other countries don't target each other's satellite missions and, and satellite functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's really important to get people involved at a very basic level because who knows, you know, the, an 11 year old on this podcast may end up running one of the satellites one of these days. That's um, right. And hopefully they, they get the knowledge that they need early on. And I think as an industry in the past, we failed with that. Um, I just did the award ceremony, me and Steve, for the matrix challenge in the UK, there were 47,000 participants for the matrix challenge. And wow. for those of you who don't know what the matrix challenge is, 
it's a series of cyber exercises um, to get through and gain points and whatnot. Um, and there were three different age groups, but super smart kids. I mean, and they're very motivated, very dedicated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I would like to see something like that come out of, you know, our community and something that we can take part in. And Steph wanted me to remind people, oh, it was 65,000 kids took part in the matrix from 11, 14, ages 11 through 14, 15 through 17. And get this, the, the overall winner from the 15 to 17 was a girl. So that's, that's a big win. Um, on the podcast and even with the haunted hacker community, I'm a huge advocate for women in cybersecurity. And I think that's super important. Um, we don't do enough to bring women into the fold as well as uh, newcomers. And I, I complain about this every podcast and I probably will until it changes, but I think we're hiring people wrong uh, in the industry. I see a lot of mid-level openings requirements open for people with five to seven years experience. Where are all the entry level? And here's the problem is they're not promoting from within. When those jobs become vacant on the mid-level, they're bringing people in from the outside. Yep. Uh, and it, it, that's killing the industry right now. And they keep talking about a skills gap. There is no skills gap. We have plenty of skill. It's just a matter of getting the right people in HR and people to understand what we do and make it more mainstream. Because I, I truly believe like red team, blue team uh, competitions capture the flags, even though that they're, they're very advanced and very mature for the industry. It's still very new. Mm-hmm. And for people coming in who doesn't, who don't know anything about it, there's not enough people opening those doors. And I think range force is doing a really good job of doing that. Well, that's the other thing, you know, we're working with HR teams too, to say, Hey, here's an assessment that you can easily give that will, that will objectively say, even this person doesn't have a degree, maybe they don't have certs, but you know, they can do these skills. They need to be considered for that. It might it may be above entry. That's level. awesome. That's so good to hear. 100%. Yeah. So we need to get, once again, we need, we need more, we need to unconventional thinking, I think is super important right now. Um, you know, you're talking about satellites and, you know, what is it? I always get amazed when they talk about rockets going up, they're moving at like 17,000 miles an hour, what, yeah. seven, 17 times the speed of sound, but which is, which is super fast. But I remember I was in a military briefing one time and someone said, you know, when we're dealing with cyber, it's moving at the speed of light. Milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Speed of right. And I'm like, I was like, whoa, that's kind of that's So, so if you want to think about how we make this cool, for kids, be like, hey, yeah, you can go fly a jet at Mach maybe one. You're probably not even going to fly it at Mach 1.5 very often because you're going to burn so much fuel. You're going to fly at a normal speed. And that's a cool job. That's awesome. But, you know, frankly, 25 years from now, there's going to be a whole lot more unmanned ones. But you can go fight a battle right now from your living room at the speed of light and prepare yourself how to fight that. And I think that is that we need to make it like more attractive, more exciting um, so we get, we get those, those folks in it that, um, may not know how, how cool it is. Yeah, exactly. Like when I talk about, you know, I have a go bag, right. I call it a go bag, but yeah. it's basically a field kit, right. Um, it's my arsenal that I, that I keep, you know, if I'm being deployed to do a pen tester or whatever. So being able to like take that and break it down and show kids the equipment that goes into it, 
make it something they can relate to like call of duty you know this is yeah. an assault this is an assault bag and we have lock picking and, and we have this and we have that kids get that they understand that mm-hmm. and that preparedness is huge because when you look at you know if if, if an f-16 flies over iraq and drops a bomb yeah it's definitely it definitely causes damage problem is it's easy to recover from that you, you can rebuild um, buildings, you can rebuild infrastructure, but to rebuild from an overall cyber attack where your lights are out, that's a little bit more difficult. And to know you have that power to defend your country and switch off a whole entire country's lights, that's huge. The kids, they can't fathom Here's that. The thing. That bomb, the enemy can't throw that bomb back up at you. <laughs> right. but we launch an offensive cyber attack on someone, and they now, now, now the vector and the TTP is out there potentially, yep. right? Yep. So, so, so that's the other crazy thing about this is the thoughtfulness that's required, the nuance that's required for how you not only do, you know, when you start doing allied government style operations is very, very complex. And we need, we need the best minds in the world to be able to, to work through this. And, and frankly, I think we need government and industry coordinating better because we have so many great, great attributes of our system. One of the negative attributes is that government and industry often distrust each other uh, for legal reasons and all sorts of things. And so things like solar winds have much more catastrophic effect, effects here and in Europe than they would do in other countries, which makes it harder. Yeah, absolutely. Support. Absolutely. And I, I see some of that, some of that issue when it comes to corporate and government, um, getting the government to agree on anything just w- between themselves is difficult. But when you throw in corporate with the government, it becomes a bureaucracy nightmare. Yeah. Um, especially like I, I know at one point Obama said attack on the infrastructure would be an act of war. Um, the next year, Israel followed up that that declaration with a bombing of a Hezbollah building where hackers supposedly were stationed that attacked their infrastructure. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing more and more of that. And I think, uh, I can't remember which head of the NSA it was that spoke at Black Hat, but this was way back when he, he had a, a, a book out called Cyber War. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember because the cover was Dayglo Orange, but he went over some of the, the early attacks that weren't really publicized um, that began to begin the internet. Um, and that's, that's pretty prevalent. And when you look at the clandestine operations like Stuxnet and, and some of the other operations to take down, you know, infrastructure or, you know, government communications. We've been doing that for years. Um, CIA has, has leaked tools to shadow brokers like Weeping Angel, stuff like that. So we've been in that business for a very long time. Problem is, is that we're not training people on that type of technology because it's so secret. Um, and I, there's got to be some kind of bridge between you know, people who aren't cleared and people who are cleared. I think everybody should have that knowledge that wants it. Um, you know, if, if we're dealing with, you know, zero days, yeah, I understand the, the national security threat of releasing that type of information. I know Lockheed Martin has their own malware creation lab. Um, same with uh, Ross Perot systems. Um, but you shouldn't have to go through an SF-86 to learn those techniques, right? So at Rangeforce, 
how do you guys address learning these different groups and their methodology and tool set? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's all about hiring p- folks that have kind of, kind of seen stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, just as with, with, with any company, um, you know, we're, we're, we're making sure that, you know, anything that, um, and just to be clear, we're not a cleared, cleared company. So, so, so we don't, you know, what we, what we offer uh, to the government is, 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 you know, clearly, very clearly this very close to what our commercial clients get. Awesome. Uh, obviously, you know, we have to be very, very, uh, sensitive on all those things with with the folks we hire, but you know, frankly, I think the vast majority of what folks need to know is out there is fairly open source, um, and um, you know that's that's how we operate. Is we're we're going to make sure we have we hire people with the, with the right experience who understand all those vectors and and get them on staff and helping us to build out the different attack scenarios and CVEs that we have in the platform. Yeah, so Frenchy, one of the co-hosts, uh, he digs the URLs and, and titles of stuff that I bring up that I'm not smart enough to figure out. Um, so the book was called Cyber Warners by Richard Clark. Um, mm-hmm. If anybody's interesting, interested in reading it, it's a really good read about the history of cyber war and sort of gives like data as to some of the early attacks. Um, so I'm going to open this up to any questions that people have for you. Um, do you have any questions for, for me or Trammy? It doesn't matter what it is. We're going to play a little game here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, do you have any questions for us as to who the Haunted Hacker uh, crew is, you know, what our function is, anything, shoot away, we're open. I, I was just, so, you know, I was just in Savannah, which is apparently the most haunted city. I actually flew back this morning, the most haunted city in America. So I, I'd love to know where did haunted uh, come from? What was your, the, the background there for the name? <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So the podcast, our very first episode was October 31st of last year. Oh, okay. And so we're sitting around and, and me and my roommate, Frenchie, um, we both have been deployed and, and serve, serve the country in some aspect. Sitting at the bar with a glass of bourbon thinking, you know what, we really want to help people who have been in my situation, right? People who have been abandoned by the government, uh, left overseas, you know, denied reentry, et cetera, um, based on their ability in the cyber world, which is completely wrong. Um, we wanted to help people like that, but then it evolved into, we want to have a community to give back because that's been my, my platform for the past three years is that, yeah, I did some bad stuff, but I, I'm here to give back and I, I want to make things, you know, better for future generations. So the haunted came from not only was it Halloween, but I think all of us who have been involved in, uh, I guess, nefarious groups or um, have committed cybercrime, I think in some way or another have been haunted by something or someone. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it was more of the ghosts that follow me. Uh, I think I've been on every popular list of the government. Um, that kept me from flying and, and doing certain things and banking. I visited those lists a couple of times and I'm still on a few. Um, so I, I look at it this way. I still have ghosts behind me. Mm-hmm. And of course, my background is a spook in the military. We, we were called spooks. And so it kind of fit. Um, but I do believe that, that everybody who does what I do to the level that I did it in is haunted by something or someone. Uh, we all have our demons, we all have our skeletons in the closet. Um, 
I chose to put my thumbprint on all of our merchandise because I have nothing left to hide. The government, I mean, knows everything about me. They, they follow everything I do. So, you know, the thumbprint is just a way to say, hey, look, I'm not doing anything wrong. And you can take everything, but you can't take my thumbprint. Right. Uh, I still am who I am. Right. Uh, so that's where that came from. Cool. Uh, and, and it kind of caught on. And, and uh, you know, it, the media and the industry, there, there's always been this battle of, you know, the, the idea of a hacker and, and a hoodie in these dark rooms. And, you know, some of us, that is our personality. You know, that, that, that was who I was way before I was a hacker. I mean, I have a picture of, of me when I was, I think I was three in a hoodie. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's something that, that it's, it's a mindset that we're born with. It's a skill set that, that I didn't run out and try to grab. Um, but because of interest and natural ability, it kind of landed in my lap. I was really fortunate with that. Um, so again, you know, I didn't have to work too hard at what I did. Um, and, and to learn what I learned, I didn't have to put forth a whole lot of effort. Uh, so I want to be able to give that back in a rigorous way for those people who do have to work hard. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. Frenchie says, don't send USPS mail in his name here. Send it to me and put an MJ or Mike two on the package somewhere. <laughs> so funny thing is, is uh, ah. yeah. So mail that comes to our house, my roommate um, can get a letter within a couple of days for me to get a letter. It takes two weeks and it may or may not come in one piece. So wow. <laughs> I'm still dealing with a lot of that backflash. Um, any other questions for, for us or for Gordon? Gordon. I got a question for Gordon. So I, I saw on um, uh, an, an interview you did for Cybercrime Magazine, um, and you were talking about the growth uh, of the company, right? So you guys uh, launched the company in 2015. And then in 2019, you said you guys went from four to 300 customers in 18 months. Um, and then, you know, I, I know your community is growing up to like tens and thousands of users. Um, how are you guys like, how are you building a team to scale that quickly? Right. Yeah. Cause you guys are, I, I know you guys got funding during a pandemic, yeah. um, which that's another question I have is, is, you know, how was funding during a pandemic for, um, for a startup? Um, but yeah, those are, those are just some of my questions that I had, like, how do you guys scale and what was it like getting funding during a, a pandemic last year? Well, I'll, I'll take the, your last question first there. Um, you, my wife said something today. She's like, I remember this time last year, you know, the world's falling apart. You're trying to go out and raise a series A. And I was like, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, speaking of like um, the, the, the ghosts, Mike, I feel like, you know, it was just such a, it was such an uncertain time. Mm. It, it was, was. Really, really, really scary. We weren't really quite sure what was going to happen to the global economy. Um, you know, I think that a lot of venture capital firms had the the remnants or certainly more seasoned partners had the remnants of 2008 um 2008 to 2010 where yeah. venture capital just dried up and of course we finished 2020 with like the most successful year in venture capital ever you know i think that people uh unfortunately there are industries some consumer facing industries restaurant facing industries as we all know that really really suffered but cyber did very very well um, I think a lot of SaaS companies did very, very well. So we were very lucky. We have great investors, Energy Impact Partners, uh, Paladin, Cisco. Uh, we have amazing folks that believed in us. 
um, and um, saw the potential of this market. And, you know, frankly, I think uh, it took a bit of a risk on us. And, and, and I think the bet has paid off uh, and will continue to pay off for them. Um, so so that, that was really the story. It was really just us, I think, being able to articulate uh, what we- That what mission. We, Mm-hmm. And have, so, and have people. so, so you have the the support of Paladin. Paladin is the analyst notebook, right? Is that is that correct? No, uh, Palantir is Palantir. The, Palantir. Yes, Paladin. Paladin Capital is uh, is actually founded by General Minahan mm-hmm. and Mike Steed. General Minahan is a former director of the NSA, uh, DC based firm, longstanding um, national security ties. Energy Impact Partners is a great firm. Um, they their their main source, their their limited partners, or who funds the fund, uh, are are energy companies around the world, like Southern Company, for example. Right. So you know you talked about IoT. Um, that's a core mission for us to support those those critical industries. Right. Um, well. So so that's that was the last industry I worked in was uh, oil and gas and some of the energy companies. Um, my career actually started before computers. It started with a company called Texas, New Mexico power company. Mm, I was a yeah. meter reader and then I was a lineman and my oh. dad worked in dispatch and switching and, and was a controller. So I got a lot of really cool insight as to how the lines and the switching and distribution centers work together. But I actually got a really scary vision of what systems those switching and those operations and functions depended on. Yeah. That's why I asked about SCADA and ICS is that the infrastructure is, is so archaic. People think that, you know, when they think infrastructure, they think, you know, these high tech systems and robust systems, but it's not that. I mean, I've seen systems on the critical infrastructure as old as NT, like very old versions of NT. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I was curious, you know, because I think if, if anybody wants to be relevant today, um, whether it be a cyber range or training or certification, if they don't include something for ICS or SCADA, they're missing the mark completely. Yeah, yeah. no, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very conservative industry, uh, one, right? And I, I, think, I think the executives there totally know the threats, but, but the, the challenge with these systems, you it's money and you can't change it overnight. Right? No, no, it's a legacy. That's right. So, you know, it, they would have to take out whole switching yards and, and transmission lines in order to go back and, and put new updated systems. Um, and that's the, that's the big problem that I saw in Estonia and some other countries is that their systems are so archaic to flip a switch and, and make that country dark, fairly simple. Right. Um, so, yeah. Any other questions? For Gordon. Gordon, what is your biggest goal? 2021 goal for Range Force? Biggest my biggest goal. That's a for great this question. year. So uh so I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna share a company goal with you all, and you because you all can be a, a, a big part of doing that. It's to get to fifty thousand people in our community. We can do that. We can help share it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So yeah, I yeah. mean I think once no again. The revenue numbers and all those things happen. Um, I'm confident if we if we get there and hopefully surpass that number, all those other things are gonna are gonna happen. And I you know I think that anyone who's had um, I, the vast majority of experiences that I hear with our team as they interact with customers and and potential clients is is very positive. And we want to make sure we we have that culture 
of just being super easy to work with and having an incredible product. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we have pretty good reach within just the podcast. So Tech Strong TV picks up our podcast every week, um, divides it into three parts, and then re-airs it during their program, Digital Anarchist, three times a week. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so this this episode will probably air the week after next on t- uh, Tech Strong, okay. and I think I can't remember how many thousands of, of viewers they have. Something like ten thousand viewers for Digital Anarchist. Um, so it's good exposure, uh, and a lot of the stuff you know, like I said, we everything we do we do for free. Mm-hmm. Um, we accept donations. We have like merchandise, T-shirts, hoodies, stuff like that, but. Never will anybody pay for a subscription to jump on and watch a live podcast. I just, I, I can't bring myself to do it. And I, I don't know if that's the same way you are about bringing knowledge to the community, but I, I was approached by somebody and I said, you know, look, your model's great, but if you really want to syndicate or if you really want to make money, you've got to charge for content. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm still battling with that. I really, I, I just, I can't bring myself to do that um, because I keep remembering that kid, you know, 11 year old kid who um, doesn't have 50 bucks or who, who doesn't have a hundred dollars to sign on to Patreon. Um, so yeah, this, this will remain free. And I think that's the way that cybersecurity as a whole uh, should be when it comes to knowledge. I remember one, one scene from a movie that strikes me, and really makes things come to light is um, the one with Bruce Willis and he's battling the terrorists and they're about to destroy the infrastructure. So they bring this hacker in, this kid from the Apple commercials. Oh, okay. And you know, they're like, the government doesn't know what's going on. They rely on this kid to like save the world. Right. Right. But it's not too far from factual. Yeah. It's, it's glorified and, and Hollywood, put their spin on it but you know the fbi and secret service and other agencies come to groups like this and and look at people who have experience in that in that field and they do pull people pull people on to help them with with certain things um so yeah i mean there's told there's a there's a ton of opportunity in this industry and uh yeah we do our best to try to bring it to them for free uh so i know that you want to give away some licenses how do you want to do that? Do you want to do it with a game or do you want to? Why don't you pick a question oh. and we'll, and you pick a question and we'll do, uh, I think what we have, uh, what, 20, 24, 25 folks on tonight. Uh-huh. Um, and we'll, why don't we just give away three and we'll go through three, three questions and whoever gets it first. And you just tell me, and what we can do is, uh, um, you have my, my, my details, Mike, if you just send me their email addresses, um, we'll get them signed up tonight. Absolutely. And before we start with this, um, I do want to, I do want to tell you that I'm definitely interested in starting that um, cyber range kind of tournament esports type deal. That was my, that was my vision before I went to the hospital in London. I was there for two months and and undergoing massive seizures every day. So I wasn't quite with it. Um, And I didn't want to continue down that road of planning when, you know, I was kind of debilitated. But now that everything is good and back in the States and actually close to Savannah, um, we can make something happen. I'd, I'd love to help you and, and yeah. 
range force and get that moving. So as far as the trivia goes for questions for the three uh, licenses, I'm going to leave that up to Frenchie and Trammy because I think it would be unfair if I came up with the questions because only the experience would probably get it. So I'm going to let you guys come up with those questions and, and see where it goes. I'm going to open up the chat to everybody publicly. Um, so put your answers to the questions in the chat window and first answer gets the license. First correct answer gets a license. Okay. I got a question. <laughs> How many users does range force want to get to by the end of the year? <laughs> it's going to take a second. Oh, there we go. Jared. Jared. Jared Congrats, Jared. Yeah. That was quick. This so, is like, this is like more of a typing drill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so jared if you'll um i guess send me your information if you're in the discord uh hit me with a dm and, and send me your information if not send it here uh directly to me and we'll get you set up next question all right question number two how long has gordon been in cybersecurity? all right muhammad Wait, is Ooh, it? Yeah, Muhammad, Muhammad right? 10 years? Yep, Muhammad and she, yeah. So 10 years 10 years is the answer, so we'll go with that. Um, Frenchie, what's the third question? Make it tough. <laughs> I think he's frozen. Chairman, you may have to answer that. I got, Can I do one? I'm going to do yeah, one. Cyber yes. Uh, all right. Yes, please. Who is the PGA Tour player that Range Force sponsors? Ooh, I don't even know that. This is going to be some Google work. We'll see. Who yeah. <laughs> I was like, who's Googling the fastest? Google Foo. It's not that guy from South Africa, is it? No. Oh, Kristen. That was very oh. fast. Kristen, congrats, I didn't know Kristen. she was on tonight. Awesome. And she yeah. came to win. Yeah. Ooh. Nice. So we have three... Uh, licenses that have been given away if you guys just send me information and i'll make sure you get your license and gordon i want to thank you personally for for coming on the podcast and, and making it an enjoyable night um you're welcome anytime we have the discord with uh free books and training and, and conversation if you or your employees want to join let me know i'll get you uh, invites um and anytime that you know you want to bring somebody on the show, you know, showcase an employee and, and their, their, their career, or, you know, just someone who's doing a bang up job, feel free. No, that's yeah. awesome. thank you so much. And, you know, that we, and, uh, next month, I'd love to do something with y'all or in the next couple of months, we can get one of our uh, rock star uh, engineers on and yeah, to talk about how you guys develop content. Yeah, that'd yes, be great. Yeah. They're much more interesting than me. So anyway. Um, no, no. <laughs> you, you had valuable insights for sure. And, and your military background, I think, makes it really interesting too uh, between you and Mike. That's awesome. awesome. Well, thank, thank yeah, you all that, so much. That for and, uh, oh, sorry, Frenchie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, next time you're in Savannah, let us know. I mean, we're, we're not real close, but we're not real far either. I mean, we're on the, I mean, we're closer to probably the Georgia border than we are anything else. But yeah, I mean, we're, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a doable road trip. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we lived in Birmingham for six years, so I love Alabama. So oh. um, yeah, we're close. Okay. Well, 
Do you know where do you know where Lake Gunnersville is? I do, yeah. Where they yeah. Awesome. Let's just say the area. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Well, well, guys, thank you all so much. Have a have a great uh, day and really appreciate the opportunity. And we'll look forward to your feedback on those licenses. Absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon, man. Awesome. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Bye.